the message today is entitled The Final Showdown. The Final Showdown. And today, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to encourage you to turn to 2 Kings. 2 Kings. But before we read, before we read, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Loving Father in heaven, thank you so much that when you sent out your disciples one by one, two by two, that you told them to go and feed your sheep, to tell the world that Jesus is the way. And so, Lord, in this challenging hour of earth's history, we pray that you will lead us, that we will lead others, and that they will lead others, and your kingdom will be furnished with souls redeemed from the power of darkness, from the pit of sin, that there will be redeemed and forgiven souls entering into your eternal kingdom, transformed by your power and put on the battlefield for such a time as this. So send your holy angels, Lord, today to do a work that we cannot do and your Holy Spirit to empower me to do what I am not capable of doing. But may all the praise go just to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The scripture reading this morning is from 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 15. 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servants said to him, Alas, master, what shall we do? May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. It is the question of the hour. What shall we do? We are living in the formation of the final showdown. And we are watching a world crumbling at our feet. Nature's fury is on display on a global scale. And people are asking the question, at, at last, Master, what shall we do? And this is the hour that God is saying to his servants. That the work he has given us to accomplish should be embraced with such tenacity that we're looking beyond the problems and the trials of the here and now. And getting ready for the kingdom that is soon to come. What shall we do? As never before, we see a planet in perplexity. I stood aghast as I watched the videos on the news about New York City, the subways inundated with water. In all the years I have lived in New York City, I've never seen that kind of display of natural forces. 
the trains, as it were, riding through a river of water, the subways becoming, uh, uh, so to speak, a Niagara Falls where water is pouring into the underground, where homes are being inundated, their basements are being filled, and cars are being washed away in the streets of New York City as though they were in the country somewhere. Overpasses, underpasses, inundated, where cars cannot pass. In some cases, people died in their cars trying to make their way. And in the mind of a New Yorker, many times they say, well, I've seen rain like this before. And some of them have their SUVs, and they say, we can make it through this water only to die at that very spot. We are seeing, brothers and sisters, we are seeing a world in perplexity. And nature is protesting the reckless behavior of humanity. We are seeing a world in distress. So when the servant of the Lord is asking at last, Master, what shall we do? He's asking a question that is being echoed from the west and from the east, from the north and from the south. When people's homes are going up, they're saying, what shall we do? When all their life savings go up in smoke, they're asking, what shall we do? When people are dying by this terrible pandemic, COVID-19 and the variant that's coming, people are asking, what shall we do? When a husband cannot visit his wife who's dying from COVID and a wife cannot visit her husband, they're asking, what shall we do? And we're seeing a world in perplexity, protesting on one side, riots on the other, instability, promises made that cannot be fulfilled by politicians that may have the best of intentions, and they are asking, what shall we do? And God is saying to us, this is the hour that the people of God need to rise to the occasion. This is the hour that those of us who know the end of the story need to repeat and repeat and repeat to the world until they can look beyond the fray and know that behind this dark cloud, the Son of God is still shining. This is the hour that the people of God need to rise to the occasion. This is the hour that the people of God have a message. For soon the words of Jesus are going to be fulfilled as we read in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 18. Notice the words of Christ in Revelation chapter 11, verse 18. Soon these words are going to be fulfilled on a global scale. The Bible says the nations are angry. The nations were angry. And your wrath has come and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. We are watching the earth being destroyed before our eyes for reasons that are too numerous to count. Some people believe in global warming. Some people don't. Some people say it's the fossil fuel issue. Some people don't. And it's not our responsibility to settle the issues, but it's only our responsibility to see what's happening to our climate and proclaim to the world that these are signs of a soon approaching God. These are the signs, fires in the west, floods and tornadoes in the northeast. I never thought the day would come when I would see tornadoes of the magnitude that I saw them in, in Maryland. Or in Pennsylvania, when I was living in New York City, when we lived in New York City, the word tornado didn't even enter into our vernacular. That was a southern thing. 
That was something for Mississippi and for Texas and Louisiana and Arkansas and some of the other southern states. The word tornado never entered into the vernacular of a New Yorker when I was being raised. But today, it is almost as though the planet has somehow shifted and weather patterns have changed location. However, that's not the case. The Lord said in these last days, we will see signs of a nature that is longing to be delivered. Do you know that even nature itself wants to be delivered? And nature is displaying its fury on such a global scale. New York City, New Jersey, Philadelphia, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes. In those locations, not to count California, Washington, Oregon, Arizona, fires out of control. I was speaking to someone in the West, and they said, some of the firefighters are choosing to allow the fires to burn themselves out because they are beyond control. As we took off in Sacramento, California, Angie has a picture on her iPad, we had a chance to fly over some of the places where the forest, the forest fires are tenacious, and we have pictures of these clouds rising, blending with storm clouds, blending with thunderheads, and we could see them traveling east watching the mountains go up in flames. And then we read the news in Colorado, New Mexico, Nevada, where 40 million people are threatened by a water shortage. Then we read about the farmers who are saying, we don't have enough water to even produce a crop. And you see, the, you see the spiraling, you see the snowball, no water to produce crops. What does, what does that lead to? Food shortage, famine on the way. The Bible says there will be famines and there will be pestilences, COVID-19, Delta variant, and scientists are saying that there are two more on the horizon coming in January. They begin to see them as they traverse the world scale. We're living at a time that the world is fragile. And then there are those that are being affected by the issues surrounding liberty of conscience, no longer able to see this as a luxury and a freedom of the citizens of the United States. And the arguments and the, and the stress and the, and the frustration are abounding everywhere. People are saying, what about my right to make a choice? And I won't even take the time to talk about all the issues surrounding that. But we are seeing an atmosphere where it's becoming more and more challenging to communicate the gospel. But God's people need to look beyond the difficulty and say, as long as the gospel exists, it is our responsibility to see that somebody in our sphere of influence knows about Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. That someone in our sphere of influence, uh, I've heard the stories of the creative ways, Janelle moving up, pulling up to the gas station and, and, a, and, a, and a motorcycle retinue of, of, of soldiers, Marines on their motorcycle and she gives them a card as Donald sits in the car nursing his leg. She gives them the cars, America, what's next? And they say, we hope this is not a political event. No, it's not a political event. It's about Jesus. It's about getting the world ready for the coming of Christ. We hear about those who go to the stores and put pamphlets and flyers in different locations. Friends, God is saying, be more creative and tenacious and fired up about saving souls than ever before. Because it's not getting easier. It's becoming more difficult to share the gospel. I'm reminded of the quotation in the book Evangelism, page 31 in paragraph 4. This is a chilling statement 
When I read it, I thought, Lord, this is a description of today. The servant of the Lord says, the work which the church has failed to do in a time of peace and prosperity, she will have to do in a terrible crisis under most discouraging, forbidding circumstances. That's our day. That's this atmosphere. That is this time. That is this hour. That is this scenario. That is this world. It's becoming more and more difficult. But still there's a door that's open. Praise God for that. Still there's a door before us that God is saying, it's still our responsibility. And with the increasing crises, the news is God will never abandon those that are faithful to the call of God on their lives. Yeah, I think about being in the airport. I'm, I'm getting more bold as I get old. Uh, sorry, get older. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, well, what can people say other than I don't have time or no thank you? And I look at some of the faces of people that when I give them the card, uh, I saw a lady with a, a red, white, and blue mask on, and I thought to myself, she needs a card to go with that red, white, and blue mask. And I gave it to her, and she said, what is this? And I said, just scan the QR code on the back, and you'll find out it's a commemoration for 9-11. She said, okay, thank you. She didn't look too pleased, but she took the card. And I prayed, Lord, touch her heart. May the Holy Spirit activate in her a desire to see what's beyond that title. What's on the other side? And the Lord has even told me in my own time of devotions, he says, Pastor, when you stand up, John, when you stand up on that day, next Sabbath, I want you to communicate in a way that is not native to Adventists. I don't want you to use phrases and words that Adventists are familiar with. Because you're going to be talking to people that have never heard this message before. Leave out all your cliches that we know. You know, like we say, you heard the story about the man, the woman at the well. They might be thinking, is there a woman at the well in my neighborhood? They may not even have a clue what that means. We might say 1844, the great disappointment. They might wonder, disappointment about what? God is saying, I want to teach you how to communicate in a way that people listening that have no idea of who Jesus is, what is the phrase everlasting gospel? What does that mean? He says, communicate in such a way that people that have never heard it before will perk up and say, there's something different about that message. Because we're living in a world where you can turn on the television any given day of the week, and religious television is the commodity of this age. Praise God that our network is committed to the everlasting gospel, the undiluted truth. What do you say? But that's not the case everywhere. And we know that when we go forth in the way that God has called us to be faithful, we cannot look for a approval. We cannot look for approbation. We cannot look for support. We cannot expect a pat on the back. We must expect the worst of circumstances to follow those who are faithful. And why is that? Because Jesus says, all those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The enemy is never concerned unless what he hears is an opposition to his message and his method and his will. When the servant of God, men and women, young men and young women, those who know and those who are just finding out, when we embrace a call on our lives and begin to be concerned about people that we see, when we no longer see them as another person living in our community but a soul for the kingdom, 
And all of a sudden, the devil becomes upset and angry, and he'll do whatever he can to thwart the purposes of God. That's why I chose today this message about Elisha. You know, you've heard about the Elijah message. That's a term we all know, the Elijah message. Behold, I will send Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. But today I want to talk to you about the Elisha message, the Elisha message. One man who asked for a double portion of the Spirit of God when Elijah was being swept away in a chariot of fire, taken to heaven by God, which is not the normal procedure. Just want to make that clear. God's not sweeping everybody into heaven on a chariot of fire. There are those who are waiting in the grave for the coming of Jesus. I just want to make that clear. But when Elijah was being swept away in a chariot of fire, Elisha asked for a double portion of the Spirit of God, and he got it. And when he got it, he started turning worlds upside down, upsetting circumstances. And one of those very circumstances I'm going to refer to today, because Elisha's experience is parallel to the events that are going to take place in the lives of the servants of God on the last days. So come with me now to 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're going to dive into the middle of a story in verse 8. There are many stories preceding this, but 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to begin in the story in verse 8. And we read these words, these inspired words. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. And he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. Let's look at the scenario. The king of Syria represents Satan. The, 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 the children of Israel represent the people of God. Satan has servants that he's consulting with today, working on a plan to set up camp in preparation to attack the people of God. He's consult as we sit here today, make no mistake about it. Revelation tells us, Peter tells us, he is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And today as we sit here, he's putting plans together. He is consulting with his servants. Who are his servants? Do you know that the devil is so clever? He has servants that look like preachers. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 and 14. He has servants that look like preachers. The Bible says, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also appear as ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. The apostle Paul calls them sheep in wolf's clothing. The writer in the book of Acts, Dr. Luke, says, they are savage wolves that enter the flock, not sparing the sheep. And Matthew, the converted tax collector, calls them false prophets. The apostle Paul says that they are deceitful workers. And he goes on to say, these men, the only God that they serve is the God of their belly, financial gain, popularity, approbation, 
possessions, stuff. And so in these last days, we have to keep in mind that Satan has servants, but praise the Lord, God has servants. The Syrian army laid plans to attack Israel, but they forgot when you read the, when you read the backstory. I don't know how they forgot the story of Naaman, the Syrian commander. Naaman, the Syrian commander, who not long before the king of Syria began to lay plans to attack Israel, Naaman, the Syrian commander, came to this very same prophet, Elisha, expecting Elisha to come out and give him a great show of God's approbation and approval, and all he told the commander to do is go take a bath. How would you like that if the president came to you and say, I need an answer, and you don't even come outside, you say, tell the president, go take a bath. And he was offended. The moral of the story is God does not respect anybody who doesn't respect him. And God led Naaman to a full restoration. And I don't know, as I began to read the story, I tried to find evidence to see how a story of such magnitude had missed the attention of the king of Syria and how he didn't know, wait a minute, you don't want to mess with Elijah because Elijah is not a normal prophet. Elijah is connected to the living God. But nonetheless, they lay their plans. And while they were making their plans, God was watching. God was watching over the children of Israel. That's why I love the words of the Apostle Paul. He says in Romans 8 and verse 31, What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us together, who can be against us? You see, this is important because often we pay attention to circumstances more than we pay attention to God. We look at the fires, the floods. We look at the unstable economy. We look at an uncertain future. We look at the vaccines and the masks, and we pay attention to the conspiracy theories, and we become ingested. We ingest whatever's on the internet as though it's the gospel. We quote this doctor and that doctor and this scientist and this physician, and I'm saying in the midst of all of that, could somebody please speak up for Jesus? Could somebody post on Facebook something that Jesus said? I had to address a lady directly who said to me, she was listening. She said, I, I watch your sermons every Sabbath, but, but the day that you said the vaccine is a distraction, I no longer want to listen to you. And I said to her, if, you, if all it took was the word vaccine to get you to ignore a man committed to preaching the three angels' messages, you are not ready for what's coming. And praise God, she later apologized and said, you know, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't judge you like that. You see, brethren, there's a distraction that is taking possession of the church today. And why wouldn't the devil try? Why wouldn't he try to distract God's people? Often we pay more attention to circumstances than we pay to God. We become overwhelmed and wonder, how can God reverse what seems to be incredible odds against this church? And then I look out on Sabbath morning and sometimes I think, Lord, we're just a motley crew. But if God can turn the world upside down with 12 men, what can he do with us? If God be for us, who can be against us? Today we listen. Satan, like the Syrian army, is laying out his war plans for the people of God in the last days. 
And Ellen White makes it very clear. She says in the Councils for the Church, page 335 and paragraph 2, listen to these sobering words. She says, while men are sleeping, while they're doing what? Sleeping. Satan is actively arranging matters so that the Lord's people may not have mercy or justice. So are we going to expect mercy, yes or no? No. Mercy from God, not from man. Are we to expect justice? The answer is no. Because Satan is working behind the scenes when the Sabbath question begins to agitate the world, when preachers rise up in opposition to the message that God has given me to proclaim next Sabbath, or even any other message proclaimed from this pulpit by any of our preachers. When men rise up in opposition to that, Satan begins to use these, so to speak, religious entities, these religious components, and make them appear to be more credible than the words of God communicated from this podium. But I want to say, if it's not from God's word, don't believe it. But it's, if it's from God's word, embrace it as though God is speaking to your heart directly. What the, what the, what the, what the Syrians didn't know that while they were laying plans, God was listening. While they were getting their plans together. And that encourages me today because I look at the climate movement coming up. I look at the, 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 the climate Sunday movement that's on the move now. I look at Back to Church Sunday that's been pushed nationwide for the last 25 years, gaining momentum and more churches joining every year. I look at the Climate Sunday Accord that's coming up in November this year in, in Europe. I look at the Pope getting together with religious leaders, economic leaders, ecologists, environmentalists, and, and as they said, the world is gathering together to try to redeem the planet. But Jesus is getting his saints together to redeem lost souls. God will make a new heaven and a new earth. Amen, somebody. So it's not our job to fix all this stuff, but it is our responsibility as stewards to, to take into responsibility what God has given us access to. But we can't reverse 6,000 years of damage. We can't fix this. We could be faithful stewards with what is within our realm of influence. Why should we fix what Jesus is not coming back to? The reason why people are trying to fix the planet is many of the leaders today feel that somehow God is going to come back and reign on earth. He's going to send Jesus to reign on earth. Oh, he'll reign on earth in the new earth. Not in this millennium coming up. He's not setting up camp on earth. He already came down here. And while they were laying their plans, I love it. The Lord sent up, he set up some spiritual reconnaissance. And God was listening. You know what amazes me, Bob, is that people think that somehow they could do stuff that God can't see. Look what David the psalmist said in Psalm 139 and verse 12. Speaking about God, he said, Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Come on, somebody say amen. God doesn't need night vision. He created the night. If an owl could see at night, why is God blind at night? Isaiah the prophet chimes in with his words in Isaiah 29 and verse 15. 
Woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. They say, who sees us and who knows us? <laughs> who sees God does? Who knows God does? You know why he knows? He knows the end from the beginning. He knows your thoughts before you put it on paper. He, know, he knew what the, what the Syrians were doing. That's why the Apostle Paul reminds us that in the global turbulence that's being displayed on a worldwide stage, the Apostle Paul is saying, servants of God, wake up. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. He's saying, but concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. If anybody knows, you know. If anybody should understand how it's going to happen, you should understand. If anybody has been given light like you have, they would be aware. If I knew that somebody was coming to my house and they drove a red Corvette, I could see them the moment they turned the corner. God has given us messages. God has given us insights. God has given us scriptural knowledge. God has given into our hands what we are responsible for. And God is saying to us, as you see the world in global turbulence, don't be surprised. I've told you that this must occur before my return. The Apostle Paul continues to speak to the church at Thessalonica, and he's speaking to us today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, notice the words. He says, but you, brethren are not in darkness. Let me pause right here and say something. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. Let me finish the text. You, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Why? You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. Say it together with me. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Amen, somebody. Brush off the books on your shelves. Get the great controversy out and read it and share it. Get out steps to Christ and strengthen your relationship with Christ. Look at the testimonies. Read what God has given us the privilege to know. As I've said to somebody before, we will be held accountable not just for what we know, but what we could have known. Can you imagine a student with a history book right on the bedhead of his bed and the history, the history test comes, and he says to the teacher, I don't know. And she said, did you have the book? He said, yes, then you should have known. God will hold us accountable not only for what we know, but what we, what we could have known. While the Syrians were planning, trying to conceal their ideas from God, God revealed the enemy's plans to his servants. I want you to think about that for a moment. When I was reading and studying and I've been getting a lot of epiphanies lately, and I know I'm not the only one, but I just want to talk about my own personal experience. As I'm reading the Bible, I'm beginning to see things in a different light, in, an, in, in what I might refer to an enhanced light. Like my wife said to me, didn't you preach that sermon before? I said, I, I think I've used the text, but God has given me additional understanding in an area that I didn't see it before. That proves the validity of the inspiration of God's Word. 
when God can show you something 15 years later that you read over and over and over and over and over again and you just didn't see it, that proves that God knows when the time is right to say, I bet you didn't see that. Amen. Have you had that experience before? Yes, sir. And you say, I don't know how many times I read that. How many times I read that? But the Bible says spiritual things are spiritually discerned. While the enemy is laying their plans, God is saying to his servant, you know what they're planning to do to you. Why did God do that? To keep his servants one, two, three, four, five steps ahead of the approaching adversary. Look at 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. God revealed to his servants so his servant could reveal to the people of God. The Bible says, and the man of God. What kind of man will God speak to? Those that stand with God. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place. For the Syrians are coming down there. Then verse 10. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him and he was watchful there. Not just once or twice. Wasn't being said when the servant of the Lord re re received information from God and then he communicated it to the leaders in Israel. He said, watch out. Don't go to that neighborhood. They waiting for you there. <laughs> and it happens. If you look at the Bible in many, many instances, Ron, in many instances, that's why the Lord told Nehemiah, don't come down and go to, oh, no. Your only response should be, oh, no. When Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arab, when all, they, they got nice to Nehemiah and said, let's go have some lunch. Nehemiah said, I ain't coming down. And you find even in the life of Jesus Christ, there were certain towns he chose not to go to because he knew that they were waiting for him there. I'm so glad today, and I want to say this, that we serve a God who's always a step ahead of the enemy. So when we talk about evangelism, whatever, whatever comes, whether it's COVID on the rise or Delta variant on the rise, God always has another plan. But sometimes, you know, we get discouraged until God says, now, I allowed that. So let me show you what I had in mind. We had a meeting the other day when we were told to cut back on our, and we know we want to make sure that we all stay healthy. We don't want to bring into our church the possibility of having a COVID outbreak here. And when we got together and tried to figure out creative ways to work with 3ABN and make it happen, I never forgot that as I shared this with our church board and our committee, they said, as Bob called me, and, you know, I, I just love Bob. Bob is just always cut loose. Bob is always cut loose for Jesus. And so Bob said, Pastor, if I don't talk to you, I'm going to explode in the parking lot. I said, what, Bob? He said, see, Pastor, when you were told not to continue your invitations to people in the community, he said, the problem with you, you were planning a cherry bomb event, but God's, God was planning an atomic blast. <laughs> and I sat before Jill, praise God. I thank God for her leadership and Greg's. And, 
And I said, Jill, we've increased our advertising. And she said, I thought I told you not to. And I said, I know what, I know what XCOM said. Let me share with you. And we said, we're, glo we're going global. We're not just going Thompsonville. Amen. We're not just going Benton. We're going global. Can you say amen, church? Amen. God has a thousand ways of which we know not of. So we must always remember that the God who spoke to Elijah, the God who spoke to Elisha, the God who told Abraham in his old age he will have a son, the God who holds back waters and gives strength to those who even lose their eyesight, he is the same God today. Amen. There's no difference between the God of Elisha and the God we serve today. There is no difference. He is the everlasting God, the beginning, the end, the first, the last, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega. He still rules in the affairs of humanity. God will not be prevented, denied, or delayed by any enactments of humanity. He says, my counsel will stand and I will do all my pleasure. Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10. You know why? Because God knows that he has given but so much space in the course of human history for Satan to be foolish. And then he says, and then I'm going to cut it off and give my people a new world, a clean one, a sin, a, a, an earth where there is no more sin. And that time is not too far away. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. I cannot wait till the junk of this world is done. Amen. But we got to do our work. We got to do our work, which brings, me to, which brings me to point number one. I only have three points. We are responsible for the knowledge that God has revealed to us. We are responsible for the knowledge. I told you about my incident in New York City. I was in New York City at a large church, and, and I was doing the week of prayer, and I saw in the back of the church a large stack of paper on the radiator, and I thought, what is that? I thought that was lessons they wouldn't have passed out. I went and looked at it, and to my chagrin, it was a stack about this high of flyers that the church members should have passed out to the community to invite them to this church that could seat about 1,200 people. And I'm looking around, and I'm seeing all these empty spaces. I'm not talking about this morning. I'm looking around, seeing all these empty spaces, and I'm thinking, look at all those flyers in Brooklyn? How many people pass this church on a daily basis? You know, there's something happening in the minds of some of us. We're thinking that when you say the Lord is coming, oh, I heard that and I heard, uh, how long have I been hearing that? But I want to remind you of the words of Christ. The evil servant says in his heart, my Lord delays his coming. God does not want us to be evil servants. Who think that somebody said, I was talking to a pastor in the West, and he said he was speaking to another pastor, and that person said, oh, well, actually, it was a conversation I was having with a church member. They were saying that they had a family member who used to be in the ministry. He said, well, the Lord could come in 40 more years. Who knows how long it's going to be? He may be right, or he may be wrong, but don't ever delay the coming of the Lord by your statements. Because for somebody, as was the case that I was re repeating recently, one of our, one of our members told me this uh, one of our local mayors had had an opportunity to meet one of our local church members. And one of our local church members was telling him about Jesus and about the end of the world. And he said, oh, it could be a thousand years from now. And that person died the next week. Probation shut. Waiting for the coming of Jesus. But there are those that are looking for the understanding. We are responsible for the knowledge that God has revealed to us. 
And I'm appealing to you, even those of you watching and those of you listening, I'm appealing to you not to get sucked into the quagmire of today's vortex of foolishness. In the book, Faith I Live By, page 325 in paragraph 4, the servant of the Lord says, it is no time now to allow our minds to be engrossed with things of what? Minor importance. But you know the problem? People don't think that their issue is minor. If it has nothing to do with salvation, it's minor. If it's political, or and I'm going to be very candid here. Don't even send me emails trying to tell me about your issue. I don't want to hear about it. The point of the matter is, if it does not focus on leading someone to know Jesus, it's minor. If it's not about deliverance from sin, it's minor. If it's arguing over political differences, it's minor. If it's trying to straighten out the medical community, it's minor. They are not listening. Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw men unto myself. That's major. Amen. Lift him up. He'll do the drawing. You can't correct folk who are convinced against your will. You can't convince people who are so deep in junk that they have just enough space for their head to breathe. And what amazes me is when you try to wake them up, they think that I'm talking to somebody else. Because my issue is legitimate. God help us. God was dealing with the Assyrians and Elisha. In the near future, God is going to be dealing with his people in the last days and the leaders of the world, the armies of the world. The Syrian army represents the armies of the last days. And there are three unclean spirits gathering together, the kings of the earth and of the whole world, to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And who are they going to battle against? And the dragon is angry with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Revelation 12 and verse 17, and also Revelation 16, verse 13 and 14. We've got to understand the stage we're setting in. Don't think that because we have rain and everybody else doesn't have water that we're okay. Oh, no, brother. The devil can work in any environment. He has umbrellas and he has suntan lotion. The devil doesn't need a, a perfect environment. He just needs a corrupt heart to be the portal through which he can corrupt others. God had revealed the enemy's plan to reverse the tables. You see, this is beautiful about the story, and I'm going to transition to the next verse here. <sighs> when the Syrians were laying their plans, it was the enemy's plan to trouble God's plan. But let me tell you something. It was God's plan to trouble the enemy's plan. Instead of God's people being in distress... God was going to reverse the tables and Satan's people were going to be in distress. Let me make it even clearer. Matthew, the tax collector, says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. He recorded the words of Jesus when he was speaking to Peter. Upon this rock I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen, church. Amen. So what does the devil do when he hears that? He is saying, in the words of Jesus Jesus just laid the gauntlet down that no matter what we do, we will not prevail against this church. But that's not saying he's not going to try to pull some of us out. That's not saying he's not going to come against some of us to find out where our weak points are. That's not saying he's going to try to say to you, oh, you can hold on, but I haven't increased the speed of this ride yet.
Because when God stepped into Elisha's life, the Syrians were nervous. Look at 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 11. The Syrians got nervous. They're wondering, we're laying plans, but look at this. 2 Kings 6, verse 11. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Did you get it? Which one of you are telling Israel what I'm talking about? I thought this was a confidential meeting. I thought I said, don't let anyone know. So which one of you are, are leaking the information? <laughs> Excuse me for smiling. The Syrians were troubled about their plans being revealed. And they thought that they had an internal leak. They didn't have an internal leak. They had an unseen guest. <laughs> that unseen guest visited Belshazzar at his, at his debacle and his feast when Babylon came to its knees. They had an unseen guest. That unseen guest came to Sodom and Gomorrah to say to Lot, it's time to get an airplane ticket and get out of town. God is always the uninvited guest. Come on, somebody say amen. You know, they thought that somehow they had disloyal men. God does not need disloyalty on the side of the enemy because God is in every council that ever stands. I love that. I love the words that the wise man Solomon said it this way in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. And the, the NIV makes it very clear. He says, many are the plans in man's heart but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Amen. Amen. You can make whatever plans you want, but God's going to decide whether to cancel it or make it happen. Amen. You can say this is what you're going to do. God says, well, let me see that. <laughs> Not. Yeah. Amen, somebody. Amen. Because if the devil had his way, we'd have been dead a long time ago. Right. He'd have blown up 3 ABN with all these storms going through here. When we had that 120 mile, 120 mile an hour straight wind a number of years ago, some of you remember that? It came through town and cut trees down like it was a flying chainsaw. And not a single trailer on the property of 3ABN moved. Wow. Not a single antenna needed to be recalibrated. Amen, Moses. God kept all those small and big antennas just as straight as an arrow. Amen. I never forgot what Jorge told me that day. And I said, Jorge, you were in a small house by radio. He said, Pastor, I put my hand out the window. I didn't even feel any wind at all. Trees were down all around town. In the front of our house on New Lake Road, I came home, and the tree right in our front yard was cut into three pieces. The top piece was that side. The middle piece was that side. And right in front of our living room window, a tree fell, and it was this close to the window. God said, stop right there. Amen. See, that's the God we serve. Amen. Storms come and storms go. And how, with all the tornadoes we've had and all the possible disasters that have come to this area, We've had a camp meeting where tornadoes would split and go around while Mark Finley is preaching. God is in charge. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. Many are the plans in man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevail. We serve a God who's always in the know. God is never in the dark. God does not ask the enemy for permission to let him in. God has a key himself. Amen. The enemy can't keep God out. 
Amen, somebody. Now why? Here's what John said. Jesus' words in Revelation 3 and verse 8. I love this. I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. God says, I got keys. I, got, I even have the keys of death and the grave. I don't just have keys to these, these meetings in Congress and these meetings in the White House. I don't even have, I have keys even to the, what, the, the, what they call that, the situation room. I could be in the meeting at the G7, the G9, and the G20. And they could put plans together. Let me tell you something. I know that by God's hand, God has kept the Sunday law from being passed thus far. Because if, if the European Sunday Alliance had their way, it would be a law throughout the entire world. If back to church Sunday had their way, it would have been a law in America already. But God is holding back the wind so that somebody else who doesn't know this message can be saved. God is always in the know. He sets before us an open door so that when you're on God's side, when we stand with the Lord, there is no need to worry. I, I have to learn. Because every now and then, a little bit of worry, I have to wipe off of my forehead. You know what I'm talking about. I sat there when I got that phone call that we had to cut back on plans. I sat there. I'm, I was like, oh, oh, what on earth is going on? And God said to me, I'm about to roll up my sleeves. <laughs> Watch out when God rolls up his sleeves. And he said to me, don't worry about it. I'm still in control. My, my plans will still come to pass. That's why Jesus said these words to his troubled disciple in the midst of a, an economy falling apart, in the midst of a, a ruthless Roman government. He said these words to his disciples before he left. John 14, verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. And then he said these words. Let not your heart be what? Troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Which takes me to my second point. Focus on the plans of God, and God will focus on the plans of man. I'm going to say it again. Focus on the plans of God, and God will focus on the plans of man. That's what he did to the Syrian army. They got so nervous, they wondered, who knows our plans? God does. God does. I don't care how powerful a president claims to be. He's just a pile of flesh in whose nostrils is the breath of life that God owns. God could shut off the air and he'll be a funeral casualty. But God doesn't go around killing folk. He allows them all the time they need to turn their hearts to him so that in the judgment they'll never say that God did this to me and I don't have time. That's why sometimes wicked people live long. <laughs> I know some evil folk and then, man, how old is he? And he's still evil? And I always wonder, why do evil people live long? Like the lady said to her husband, the lady I know the story, she had an abusive husband. He would come in the house and one, one evening he came in the house and brought his friends. They were drinking at a bar and they got all drunk and all bent out of shape with alcohol. And all the men were talking about their wives, how powerful and how controlling their wives was. And he said to them, I'm in control of my house. Come with me. Let me show you a real man. And he took these two men to his house at 4 o'clock in the morning, and he kicked the door down and walked, and he said, and he yelled, come on down here, make me some breakfast. 
His wife came downstairs, didn't say a word, didn't say a word. She walked to the kitchen, and these two other men with him were just shocked. What? He got it going on. His wife didn't say a word, opened the fridge, made his breakfast, <clears throat> put it on the table in front of the guests. And they thought, and he looked at them like, I'm in charge of my house. And when they left, he was puzzled. He said to his wife, why do you put up with me? Why do you, why do you, why do you stand for what I put you through? She said, I've told you over and over to accept Jesus. I'm going to put up with your stuff for just a short time, but I got eternity ahead of me. And you only have a short time to do this to me, but I got eternity that you'll never do this to me again. And it's a true story. That man fell to his knees and became a deacon in one of the local churches in Ohio about 25 years ago, got baptized and gave his life to the Lord because his wife said, oh, yeah, you're going to have your time now, but I got my time coming. Amen, somebody. Weeping and door for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. Isaiah the prophet said to the people of God on the last days, Isaiah 41, verse 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Don't look for strength from anybody else but God. I will help you. Don't look for help from anybody else but God. I will uphold you. Anybody else could let you down because they don't have a righteous right arm like God does. If you want help, turn to me. I've witnessed God take evangelism to another level. I was at Cafe Bloom a few days ago meeting with one of the local state representatives, Dave Severn. Big man, lovely man. We were so enthusiastic, and I shared with him how I had been meeting for more than a year with the senator, and he said, I'm upset with the senator. He said, you mean to tell me he's been meeting with a man like you for a year and didn't let me know? I missed out on all those opportunities. And I said, let me tell you what. 9-11 is all about. Let me tell you what America, what's next is all about. And I said, if a storm was coming and you knew about it, what would you feel as far as your constituents are concerned? He said, well, I'll be responsible to tell them. I said, well, that's my responsibility as God's servant. I, God has revealed in his word what's coming, and this is an event to let the world know what's coming. He said, I'm with you, brother. I said, now, I know you mentioned this through, through, Pastor, Fripps, through, through Pastor Fritz, but I want to make sure, are you okay to be a part of that event? He said, I'm not, not, I'm not only okay, but I'm ready for it, and I'll be there. And he's going to have a powerful, powerful, powerful story to share with you about how God got him ready for 9-11. But then I sat with Pastor Phillips, and he was sitting next to me, Pastor uh, Philip Fritz, and we were praying about what God has been bringing him through. And I gave him a stack of the flyers that Janelle designed, and I said, pass this out. And I gave him a stack of the cards, and I'll pass this out. And God took that opportunity and turned it around in an amazing way because the restaurant was filled with women, very classy women, high-fashion women. And I thought, man, how come I don't see them in Walmart? <laughs> I mean, these women were dressed to the nines. And he went over, and the, the representative took a picture with a group of these ladies who had asked him, could you take our picture? And the pastor took that stack of flyers and gave it to these first day Christians Amen. and those cards and gave it to these ladies who go to church on the first day and he said to them pass them out Amen. and they said we'll make sure all of our friends get one of these <laughs> oh that was not an amen I was looking for God can take evangelism to another level 
God is using those who he wants to save and exposing them and their willing hearts to share Jesus. God can look into the hearts of people that we may not agree with and use them as instruments to advance the cause of God. If God can do that with people that don't know what we know, what is our responsibility? If God has folk that don't even know half or one-tenth of what we know, and they're excited about what's coming, and they want other people to know about it, what is our responsibility? What's our problem? What's our problem? We sometimes don't think that it's going to work, but listen to this in Christ Object Lessons. Christ Object Lessons, page 363. Listen to this. When we give ourselves wholly to God, and in our work, follow his directions. He makes himself responsible for its accomplishment. He would not have us conjecture as to the success of our honest endeavors. Not once should we even think of failure. We are to cooperate with one who knows no failure. Amen. Uh, you know, how could 12 men turn the world upside down if they can do, if God can do that with 12, what can he do with us? Yes. Yes. There are no X's in God's lost column. <laughs> he didn't have a lost column. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for helping me out on that. God doesn't even have a lost column. Another quotation. i got to share these with you today. These are powerful. God has encouraged me. I have to encourage you. Evangelism, page 30, paragraph 2. We are nearing the great and final conflict. Do you believe that? Yes. Every advance move made now must be made with increasing effort. Increasing effort. For Satan is working with all power to increase the difficulties in our way. He works with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. Why? To secure the souls of men. I am charged to say to ministers of the gospel and to our missionary physicians, go forward. The work to be done calls for self-sacrifice at every step. But, together with me, go forward. Go forward. Go forward. God knows what the enemies are doing. God is in their bedrooms. He knows what they're thinking. 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 12. The Syrians found out about it, and the Lord recorded this story to let us know I've got a step on the enemy. Look at 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 12. The Syrian army found out what they didn't know. And one of his servants said, No, my Lord, O king, we're not, we're not leaking your information, but Elijah, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. <laughs> Somebody in the community saying, I read this article about America, what's coming. I'm going to do what I can to defeat it. Lord said, no, you ain't. Getting back to my Brooklyn vernacular, no, you're not. God sees the enemy in secret, but the enemy cannot see God in secret. God sees the enemy's secrets, but the enemy does not see God's secrets. 
When God is about to move, he reveals his next move to his servants so they can reveal God's next move to God's people. How do I know that? Amos 3 and verse 7. God never does it without letting us know first. Praise you, Lord. Surely, Amos 3, 7, surely the Lord, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. God doesn't want to sneak up on us. He says, I want you to move in harmony with my will, and I'll tell you what it is. At the time, I believe you need to know about it. And that's why today, friends, Satan's concern for us is just as concerned as he was about the Syrians. He felt about the Syrians the way he feels about us today, but something has changed. The Bible tells us what has changed. Revelation 12 and verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having what? Great wrath. Great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. He was angry with the Israelites, but now he has great wrath. His attitude has changed. God is always the same, but the devil is becoming more angry as he knows he only has but a short time. In testimonies to the church, the servant of the Lord reveals this. Testimonies to the church, volume 9, page 19, paragraph 1. Listen, listen. In a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining what kind of light? Wonderful light from the Word of God. They have been given a work of the most solemn import. The proclamation of the first, second, and third angel's messages. There is no other work of so great importance, they are to allow, say it with me, nothing else to absorb their attention. God is on the move. That's our call. That's our marching orders. Don't allow anything else to absorb, absorb your attention. Do you not see what the devil is doing? He is saying, argue with this issue and that issue and this medical issue and that medical issue and this political issue and that political issue. He's saying, I got some other issues. The Lord's servant is saying, no, do not allow anything else to absorb your attention. I am just flabbergasted by those claiming to believe the third angel's message. And their attentions are absorbed and they have built themselves a castle of proof while souls are passing off into eternity just so they could win their position. And what they fail to realize is Satan was bent on silencing God's servant. And he's going to seek to silence ours. But God always has an answer. But look what the devil did to the Syrians. Sorry, look what the devil did to Elisha. Look what the Syrian army attempted to do. Second Kings, and I'm winding up. Second Kings, chapter 6, verse 13 and 14. Look at these closing phrases. The Syrians said, go and see where he is. Find out 
where that ministry is in southern Illinois that keeps on talking about the Sabbath. I'm sick and tired of them talking about the Sabbath. It's upsetting folk around the world. Find out where that church is that keeps on talking about the commandments of God. I'm sick and tired. It's causing trouble in my congregation. You'd think I don't know that? We had a couple that was here that passed away uh, um, that were attending the Presbyterian church down there in, um, in, in one of our southern communities. And on a Wednesday night when he came here, Lord have mercy, older couple, honey, Ruma. They stood up in prayer meeting, and I said, who are you? Are you an Adventist? They said, no. I said, are you an elder? They said, no. I said, are you a member? They said, no. I said, why are you here? They said, we were watching you when you and Pastor Stanton extended a challenge to us to find out about the Sabbath. And whatever we find out, go take it to our pastor. That's why we're here. And they told me the story when their pastor, when they brought the Sabbath question to their pastor, he was so agitated with them, he said to them, he took them out of office, he took them out of leadership, he took the, the man's wife out of being the church treasurer where she was for 34 years, he was, a, he was a head elder for more than 20 years, took him out of leadership, Harmon and Helen. And he stood up and said to me, I gave my pastor one. He went down to Hunts. He went down to Alabama and prayed. He said, for two weeks, what should we do with this information? He went back to his pastor and said, Pastor, why are we not talking about the Sabbath? The pastor said to him, you've got a problem. You fix it. He said, I am. I'm going to the Adventist church. And they both got baptized here. Their sons thought that they lost their mind. His oldest son said, Dad, you lost your mind all your life. You led us in this direction. Two months later, we baptized his son and his son's wife. And they're members down in the Marian church. You can't stop the cause of God. You can't fight against God's truth. That's why God is saying to his servants, so in these last days, Satan is going to try to find out where are these pockets of resistance coming from? Where are my people finding out all this information? Go and shut them down. But look at what God did. Look at what God did. 2 Kings 6, verse 13 and 14. So he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. Can you hear it? I want to get him. And it was told him, saying, surely he is in Dothan. They're down there in West Frankfurt, Thompsonville area. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. Help me preach the sermon, Bob. They came by night and surrounded the city. Brethren, the devil loves the night. Because he likes to see us at, he likes to catch us when we're sleeping. He likes to attack us when our eyes are closed. But I want to tell you, our eyes may be closed, but God's eyes are never closed. He likes to make us feel that we are comfortable and everything is honky-dory. The monies are flowing. The ministry is successful. Everything is going our way. He says, that's what they think. But i got a great army that I'm gathering together. I'm going to find out where they are and I'm going to get them. <laughs> but i got to share with you this quotation Excuse me for being so direct today, but I'm just excited about something. Signs of the Times, January 13th, 1904. How does the devil work? Servant of the Lord says, his step is noiseless. His movements are stealthy. His batteries are masked. He has so concealed himself from view that many can hardly believe that he exists much less can they be convinced of his amazing malignity, activity, and power. They're saying, that can't be the case. 
Why would he want to do that? And the reason why they feel that way is because they haven't heard the footsteps of a noiseless enemy. Roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's why the Apostle Paul said to the Thessalonians, and he says it to us today, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 6, Therefore, let us not, what? Sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. There are some people that are sleeping with their eyes wide open. You don't have to have your eyes closed. Sleeping with their eyes wide open. <laughs> and I like this. This is where, this is where I'm going to wind it up. I've got two more verses. Can I do two more verses? When the Syrian army found Elijah, now last night, I want to wake my wife up and tell her this, but God and I had a, a, God and I had a praise session together. When the Syrian army found Elisha, they said, we got him just where we want him. But what they did not know is God had led the Syrian army where he wanted them to go. <laughs> And God said, I got them just where I want them. They thought they had Elisha just where they wanted him, but God had the Syrian army just where he wanted them. Oh, man, isn't God good? They thought that they had Elisha when God had them. <laughs> I don't shout, but I just might today. The Syrian army was determined to put God's work to an end, but God was about but God was about to put their work to an end. That's God. I could hear heaven saying, God, are you watching this? I could hear the angels say, God, should we go now? No, God said, no, I got this. I'm going to work on this one. I just need, I said, wait a minute, matter of fact, I need some angels with some horses that are lit on fire. Y'all need to go down, but don't let them see you coming. Just go on down. You go down to Dothan, and you wait for me to blow the whistle. <laughs> Can you see it happening? Because some of you know the story. God said, y'all go on down there, and what I want you to do is I want you to go ahead and set up your camp around the Syrians, and I'll tell you when to raise the curtain. So there they are. There they are. And the next verse, my brethren, reveals the issue of many of us in the last days. Look at verse, the next verse. <clears throat> Second Kings, chapter 6 and verse 15. And when, the, and when the servant, and when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, master, what shall we do? <laughs> you see it, Brian? What are we going to do? They found us. They know we're down here in southern Illinois. They know exactly where the ministry... I remember Pastor Jim Gilly and I used to say, he said, man, when things go south, they're going to come straight to 3 Avian and shut us down. Not before God is finished. Come on, somebody, say amen. They ain't shutting down nothing until God said, I'm done. And when God is done, he's going to shut everything down. They ain't shutting down nothing because God said, oh, you, oh, oh, you found Elisha? No, no, I found you. <laughs> you surrounding his house, I'm surrounding your house. Look at it from God's perspective. Come on, somebody. Right, 
The problem with the servant of the man of God, and I got some church members like that. Um, I, praise God, I humbly say, I want to be the man of God, his servant. If I'm not Lord, make me your servant. But the servant of the man of God said, Pastor, what are we going to do? We can't invite the crowd in anymore. The choir backed out. We don't have a marching band. What are we going to do? What shall we do about all the complacency and the lack of passion for souls? What shall we do? What are we going to do about the obsession with politics and conspiracies in the church? What shall we do? What about issues that are threatening our liberty of conscience? I don't want to take the vaccine, but somebody is trying to get me to do it. What shall we do? What shall we do about the theological arguments that are just plummeting our church with hurricane force winds? What shall we do? What shall we do? I'm going to say to you today, all of those that think the church is in danger, you need to stop looking at the church and start looking at God. One man named Elijah was important enough to God for God to send some of his best angels. God said, I need me some bad angels. Sorry, some good angels <laughs> that are bad. I need me some angels that are ready to break it out. So God said, go on, but don't make any noise. But don't turn your lights out because you need to find Dothan. When you find Dothan and I see you land, I'm going to go ahead and give you the thumbs up. So here they are. Sorry, I'm a little tickled on the inside because I'm just thanks, thankful about how God works. Here they are. And the servant of the Lord, the servant of the man of God is just at his wit's end. He may be the deacon. He may have been uh, just a guy that helps out Elisha on a daily basis, brings his lunch or whatever, but he don't know what to do. And he's looking at Elisha, and Elisha ain't saying nothing. Elisha's saying, now what's your problem? He's giving him that look, and he's saying, at last, Master, what shall we, can you not see the horses and chariots? This is a great army. You couldn't even get light through the, through the bridge of soldiers that surrounded that house. And he could, he could see his demise in their faces because they looked angry and they had to look like, we got you now. But I'm so glad the story didn't end in verse 15. Right. Look at verse 16. 2 Kings 6, verse 16. So he answered, Elijah finally said something. What did he say? What did he say? He said, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, I want to pause before I go to the next verse, because right now, that servant ain't seeing nobody but the Syrian army. Sometimes God waits when he reveals himself. You know, some of you folk that are praying in your bedroom and nothing's happening, God's got some angels on the way. Some of you are worrying about what's going to happen in your family, your marriage, your children, your job, your future, the issues that are confronting you in, in this modern society. God's sending you some angels. And he's going to wait till the moment when you need them to raise the curtain and say, we were right here. We're right here. We cool, but we were just waiting for when you needed us. Don't forget the text. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about those who fear him and deliver them. God ain't, God's never, God don't ever say, what do we do? 
So, verse 17, and Elijah prayed. When you are surrounded by people that can't see, you ought to pray. And this is the prayer you ought to pray. And he said, Lord, I pray. What is the problem with some of us today? Open his eyes that he may see. If you, haven't been here, if you haven't heard me say that from Sabbath to Sabbath, you haven't heard me say nothing else. I've been saying, Father, open the eyes of our members so they stop looking on these websites and all this garbage, this junk, fighting with folk. So I'm going to make a statement in a moment that's going to blow your socks off. When Elijah prayed that prayer, don't try to straighten out church members. Pray for them. Pray, Lord, open their eyes. Now, I want to make a point here. Sometimes God does not work because the person prays for it. Sometimes God works because you prayed for it. Did you hear what I said? The servant didn't say, open my eyes. Elijah said, open his eye. See, I'm praying that God will open some of your eyes. Because some of you ain't convinced yet that God is God all by himself. Then the Lord opened his eyes. <clears throat> and the young man, don't ever miss why those words are there. And the young man, why did the Bible say young man? Because he didn't have enough experience to know that God is always God. Young man. The Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he what? Saw. And behold, God said, raise the curtain. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Mm. Mm. Can you hear the crackling flames of divine aid? I can't even make the sounds. I don't need to. Can you see the gaze of the Syrian army redirected? They were first looking at Elisha, then all of a sudden they said, Uh, do you see what I see? And another one from another part of the army said, no, no, look, look it's, it's everywhere. It's all around us. And they could see the fire radiating from these chariots and the angels are not consumed. And they could see in the eyes of these divine deliverers flaming fire and a sword that has no hand connected to it just waiting for them to draw their sword. And they probably said, uh, why didn't people tell us that he had those kinds of connections? <laughs> Brethren, we got connections, but let me make the statement that I said is going to blow your socks off, and here it is. While people are arguing about covering their nose and their mouth, Satan is busy covering your eyes. I don't want to cover my nose. I don't want to cover my mouth. That's your choice. But while you're arguing about that, Satan is determined to cover your eyes. That was the crux of the story. Open his eyes. That's why the Lord prayed this prayer. For us in the last days, the church, Laodicea, Revelation 3.18. Come on, Danielle, bring the praise team. That's why the Lord prayed this prayer. That's why this is the message to this last day church. Revelation 3 and verse 18. Anoint your eyes with what? Eye salve. That you may see. That you may see. That we may what? 
that we may see. Don't look for things that are physical. Look for things that are spiritual. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. People that are spiritual don't look for physical evidence. We walk by faith, not by sight. We don't wait for the newspapers to put articles in, in our favor. We don't wait for men to say, okay, we're with you now. We know that God is with us. Amen. And man can't do anything to prevent what God is doing. We know that God is moving in our behalf. And nobody can prevent God from what God is about to do. We know that God makes the final call. I could only wish I was there. When I get to heaven, I'm going to say, Lord, could I rent that DVD about the Syrian situation? I want to see what happened that day. You ever see those stories in the Bible? You want to, you want to rent that when you get to heaven. Could I see that? Because I heard the story. This is a, and you see, that's why we, a thousand years, Adventists are going to be renting DVDs for a thousand years. Can I see when you turn the water backwards so that people walk through dry ground, didn't even get wet? Uh, I want that one with the, 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 the Hebrews in the lion's den. I want to see that one. I mean, Daniel in the lion's den. Give me the fiery furnace DVD. How long is it? It's two hours. I'm going to watch the whole thing. I ain't falling asleep. Forget about that 20-second attention span. When God gets your attention, he could hold it as long as he needs to. But look at this last quote. Selected Messages, book 3, page 415, paragraph 3. The Lord will do a great work in the earth. Satan makes a determined effort to divide and scatter his people. He brings up side issues to divert from the important subjects. He brings up side issues to divert minds from the important subjects which should engage our attention. That's the devil. Brethren, if you think that there ain't any, if you don't think that we're dealing with side issues, then you ain't awake. And everybody is right. Everybody wants to win the argument. Everybody's got their points. They post it on this side and that side. They have symposiums. They put out thousands of dollars to prove their point. And that money should be given to win souls for Jesus. Side issues. Diverted minds. When I read that, I couldn't help but look this up on the internet to try to find out and I was shocked by what I found. And I, I found that this statistic was starting to be recorded back when, when phones became a popular item. And they said the number one and number two reason for pedestrian deaths and driver accidents is distracted pedestrians and distracted drivers. Saw a video where a lady was walking and she walked right into a manhole while she was looking on her phone people walking into the streets and they're talking about death tolls going up. Pedestrians, they're not committing suicide, they're just distracted. It's an increasing cause for pedestrian deaths and driver deaths. Don't text while you're driving. The number one cause and the number two cause of deaths among pedestrians and drivers are they're distracted. But I couldn't help but ask the question and I ask you this question as I close. Could it be that Christians are about to suffer the same fate because they are distracted. That's why the last word from God is this. 
Isaiah 45 and verse 22. Could you say it with me? Let's read it together. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is what? No other. Today, brethren, how many of you are going to ask God to refocus your attention? To give you clean eyes? To get ready to get on the battlefield? To not worry about what the enemy's plans are, but to focus on God's plans? God will focus on the enemy's plans. They could surround you, but they cannot supplant you. They cannot root you out. God will root them out. All the plans that God lays will be accomplished. But today, I want us to sing the first and last stanza of this song. The first and last stanza of this song because it makes a difference. We can't tell, but we can see the signs. And we must do all in our power as I invite the praise team to sing the song. And I invite you to stand. And then I'm going to pray at the end of this because we don't know what the enemy is doing, but God does. We don't know when Jesus is coming, but the evidences are clear. We have a directive, do our part, and in the final showdown, God wants us to show up. God will do the work through us. Listen to this. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Gracious Father in heaven, I just praise you, Lord Jesus, for recording these accounts of your majesty, of your sovereignty of your foresight and insight, of the plans that you make that man cannot cancel, of the movements in the hearts and the society of nations that have been held back, have been de delayed for the purpose of carrying the gospel forward. I praise you today that the enemy never has the final say. But Lord, I pray for something even more dire than all of that. Lord, I pray that our prayer would be open our eyes that we may see, that we may see the movements that the enemy has thrown before us, our side issues, and that even though they may be passionate and have relevance in our day-to-day -day life, Lord, I pray that these issues will not divert us from the most important work of the hour. Guide your people. Give them wisdom and understanding from above. May they embrace the message. Proclaim the message. Lift up the Jesus of the message. And someone in this area, someone around the world will hear and know that in this trying hour, this is the time for the people of God to rise. We rise in the final showdown that Jesus may be shown as the world is coming down. Send us forth from this place unsatisfied with our part we have played and give us a passion to do more as our physical abilities allow. Tomorrow may we avail ourselves and seek out someone to share a card with, a flyer with, a, 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 a track, something. And when this event comes, somebody would hear the seed that will lead them to know the Christ and be prepared for eternity. This we ask, that you alone may be praised. We take no glory to ourselves. We give all the glory to you. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen.